podcast for giftware and specialty food artisans who want to work smarter, earn more, and live better. Hosted by Stefa Normantis. Maggie, Maggie Bocour is known for her organic, elegant, fine metal jewelry. She joined our show to discuss how she's built confidence in communicating who she is through her work. We also talked about the financial realities of being a maker and how to adapt through the challenge of losing sales through bad seasons or galleries closing. Let's get to it. So welcome. Welcome to Artisans Who Wholesale uh, podcast. I am here today with Maggie Bocor. And we are, and Maggie is one of the most amazing jewelers I know. So I am super excited to have her on and share, um, uh, share her expertise. She's been a pro for a long time and has a lot of valuable resources, uh, and information she can share with us. So welcome, Maggie. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me to do this, Stefa. I am a huge fan of your organization and the New England Made Show and really happy to be a part of it. And yes, very excited to be able to um, share some of my know-how or answer any questions you may have that may help someone who is coming into wholesale right now, thinking about it, not sure. You know, it's it always is one of those things when you've done it so many times, you it's not that you're taking things for granted, but that you just kind of get into a rhythm. And so yeah. sometimes you kind of forget that there's some... Um, maybe some trappings or things that people are looking to find out before that they kind of step into this arena. Sure, sure. And wholesale is so different from retail that um, it's really what we see is somebody who uh, has their retail down solid, steps into wholesale and um, and is just unprepared for the differences that they need to adjust to. So, uh, so thanks again, Maggie. So let's jump in. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and your business. Sure. Um, so my business is Maggie Bocor Jewelry, and um, I have been running this business for about a 11 years now. And I was, my background actually, I went to um, the Rhode Island School of Design, uh, which is a, a fabulous design school, RISD, yeah. uh, many, many years ago, and actually was a, was a sculptor, was a, was a ceramist. And I just, for me, I knew that I wanted to influence the world in some way. I just wasn't 100% sure how. And um, after school, I ended up working for a bunch of artists right out of college doing wholesaling. Um, I mm -hmm. was working for glass artists, ceramists, jewelers, um, product makers, and was, was doing big shows, big, uh, things like New York, the New York shows and some smaller regional shows. So I kind of started right out of the gate, uh, coming from a fine arts background that didn't teach a lot about the business of being an artist, mm -hmm. uh, to really kind of stepping fully into what I found was fascinating was people taking their craft, their art, their, their ideas and turning it into a product. Um, so I, I loved that. And it was something that has carried me through the years. And, uh, I, I took other, my, my kind of career kind of moved in other forms, but I moved to Maine in 06 and I had been living in the mid Atlantic. And when I moved up here, it was actually to kind of step back into this thing that had happened to me right after school, which was tapping into this concept of making a product, but mm -hmm. I had been selling other people's work. And I kind of thought, the biggest challenge at this point would be what can I do with my own talents? Um, 
So I had found this really fabulous material. It's a malleable metal. I could sculpt it like a ceramist, cast it into sterling, and actually make a product, a, a jewelry product that was a sellable thing. And it's, you know, it's fascinating because I think that part of me was ready for the wholesaling pretty pretty close, uh, pretty like pretty early only because I'd had these other experiences. But in general, as you said, wholesaling and retail are very different animals and um, nothing, you know, there's that kind of uh, direct sales versus uh, working with galleries, working with stores, that kind of thing, confidence in communicating who you are. And so, yeah. So after the past 11 years, I, I have 60 galleries across the U.S. Um, I have a fabulous part-time employee. Um, and I, yeah, and I started on uh, the past year doing some coaching for other people for this kind of specific thing of how do you build confidence um, getting to where you are. And uh, yeah. And uh, tell me what your uh, what your product line is looking like these days. Sure. Um, so I I make I work with um, sterling silver and I make a so I, I work with a fine fine metal line and um, I I was very specific in how I wanted to go about this and because of the fact that I wanted to. Uh, be able to do more of a production base uh, versus one of a kinds in order to do wholesale, which means I am basically designing something that I can reproduce so that I can get a similar look. I can have a consistency with my product and also keep my, my time down um, so that I'm actually able to profit and also give something beautiful to people. Um, so I do everything in, in a sterling silver line. And in the past two years that I brought out to the New England Maid Show, um, started to do a 14 karat gold vermeil, which is basically a 14 karat gold plating on top of sterling, which what's lovely about it is it allows me to... Um, to broaden my uh, base of who who I can offer to and their mm-hmm. clients, but also it's it's uh, less expensive than a, a you know a really high end gold product, which I always do specialty casting for people. But what I've found is that it really is kind of broadens everything without um, you know kind of scaring people away from a price point. Awesome. So that's, that's what I offer. Awesome. And are you still doing uh, both wholesale and retail, or I what's am. your mix right now? I, I am, but I will tell you, I am, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's, um, I, I used to do like 20, 24 retail shows a year. I mean, it was a very, very intensive weekend, you know, kind of every weekend of the summer and a lot of fall, uh, fall and some winter shows, um, on top of a pretty heavy wholesale schedule. What I have found for myself is that there are some people very diehard. They'll, they'll commit to a show and, and it's really good for wholesaling. It's definitely, you'd have to commit for a couple of years in order to really see uh, people really want to know that you're the real deal, that you're sticking in it. And they also need to make space for you. One of the things I find with wholesaling especially is uh, you're in a position where someone comes to the show, they may love what you make, but they just may not have room. And so sometimes it takes a couple of years to kind of really solidify a relationship. And uh, with retail shows, I find that, you know, you can kind of get a sense of what a show looks like by... Uh, you know, the, pr- the products that are offered beside you, the type of clientele, but you're also dealing with things like weather, like we always have to deal with possible snow in, in Portland. Sure. Um, so I have slowed down in my retail a lot uh, with mm-hmm. the intention to find a better balance. And also, I've done this long enough that I've revved up my wholesaling enough that I feel that that kind of 
it builds upon itself, you know, that I can, yeah. I now have relationships with direct clients that I can keep. So it's not so much of me, you know, having to put my name out there all the time. Sure. No, it takes a long time to cultivate those and keep those. And, um, and, uh, you know, it, um, it, it does take time to build each one of those relationships with a product that works in their shop. So. It does. Well, and I think that's one of the things that I have found. And I don't know about you, but one of the things, you know, just in terms of you are asking me about preparing for wholesale and that I find is one of the biggest differences. There's not necessarily the same amount of kind of instant gratification when you're first starting out with shows. And it, it actually is. It just doesn't look that way. It's just that it's a, it's a longer game. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's not a little sprint. It's not, you know, it's, it's, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's great and you can get, uh, you know, you're the new kid on the block. And so there's a lot of energy around you. But I find that it, you just, I just feel like it's kind of like two games in one, if that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a whole different mindset and a whole yeah. different pace versus yes. your uh, your one and done retail. Right. Um, and I know you've got a ton to be proud of, Maggie, with your line, your brand. Um, what are you most proud of in the business as it is today? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say the thing I'm most proud of is, um, when I have people come up to me and tell me, uh, these funny stories about how they went somewhere and someone was wearing my work and they remembered who I was. They remembered my name. Um, I have had really great experiences where I've actually been in other parts of the country and doing a show and somehow, someone shows up and already is aware of me. And those are always really kind of special moments. Um, that to me is one of the things I'm most proud of. The other I have to say too, is I have a really good relationship with some of my galleries where they really have become friends. And um, it's great because what you start to recognize is we're all in it together. And um, mm -hmm. so shop owners and makers are all basically, we're all trying to figure out, you know, they, they're the patrons of this wonderful, uh, you know, wonderful things we offer. We're the makers of those wonderful things that they need. And that kind of symbiotic relationship um, can actually be more than just, you know, thank you for your order and here's your check. And just, and, and so I find that it out, it helps me, understand a little bit more what about what's going on and it's incredibly rewarding i just find it rewarding to have those kind of relationships so true so true um so now on the challenge side yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a pretty good list too uh what's the hardest part of the business maggie what do you uh what do you, what's your challenge these days you know i would tell you it's funny uh, this this year i kind of um i showed up I showed up at all three. I did three wholesale shows this uh, fall. And I, I mean, that's winter. And I showed up with a little bit of a, um, I don't know. I don't want, I wouldn't call it false confidence. I just, I've done this long enough and I kind of rev myself up and I spent a lot of time marketing my new lines. I came out with three new lines and I kind of, wow. I didn't assume they were all going to be hits, but I just kind of, really was revving myself up for, mm -hmm. for a kind of a t an intended uh, amount of sales. And what I think what's interesting, and this is one of the challenges of our world, is 
just because you have a good year one year, it has absolutely nothing to do what's going to happen in the next. And there is a natural flux of in and out. And, you know, if a gallery does really well with your work or a shop does really well with your work one year, next year may be a completely different story. And I am finding that is happening this, this year. So the challenge for me is I have galleries that are closing. Um, I have people that are just saturated with the work or the work has changed. Their personality has changed. We've, you know, done different things or, you know, it's, it's like what's hot, what's new, maybe slightly different from the next year. And um, where I find that I, it's helpful for me is I don't have a lot of ego in my work in terms of, you know, I feel upset that if someone doesn't want it, really, I am very generously interested in making something beautiful that is responsive to a lot of people. So I, I want the feedback no matter what, you know, whatever, whatever the feedback is. But I am finding that this year, um, I got a lot of new galleries, I have to say. It's, it's not lack of new. It, it's more of retaining other ones based on where they are in their business. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of people I have found are either retiring or, you know, or shifting, or maybe they're shifting to a different model, yeah. um, you know, stepping away, maybe moving into consignment or other types of things. So yeah, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And it's, it's, you know, where do you make up the difference when you start your year off with an assumption of, okay, so through this, you know, through the show, I'll be making approximately this much money. Sure. Um, and then how do you make that adjustment? Yeah. And especially because it's not something that you can control. You can't control somebody that's retiring. You can't bring out a different line. Um, so that, that's a tough one. That's a tough yeah, one. It, it is. And you know, it's interesting too, because I think that in general, um, yeah, you always want to be on top of it. You always want to try new stuff and you, you want to be able to also keep consistent. Uh, product that people can, you know, that they love it, they want to keep carrying it and all that kind of stuff. But I also think too, the reality is there's a huge saturation of things in the world. Mm-hmm. And the way people buy right now, there is, I really feel that there is there, you know, there's, com- there's competition with, um, there's competition with, uh, 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 you know, Amazon and different things, you know, where, where it's easy for people to not leave their home. Yeah. And, um, what I, what I'm finding is in general, um, is that it's really having companies that I work with that trust and believe in the arts. Those are the best ones because, uh, you know, they, they are continuing to bring in those patrons no matter what. Sure. Uh, and, I, and it's more than a, just a product. Exactly. Exactly. It's more than a product. Exactly. Yeah. Um, tell me about a failure moment, something huh. you learned from it. Those are the good lessons. Those are the, uh, those are yeah, the expensive I, lessons. Yeah. They can be. Um, God, a good failure moment. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, a good failure moment. Um, this is a big one. I did, uh, what would, what would, what kind of what kind of failures would you like? I mean, I've had some huge failures. I've had some small failures. I mean, uh, you know, one 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 huge one for me because I was reading these questions before, um, and you know, it's funny because it's hard for me to call them failures because the way I think about any of these situations is even when you're losing money and you're doing that stuff, you learn so much, and in some ways, pushing against those mm-hmm. tough situations are so much so much bigger and broader and uh, you know, they kind of those life lessons, they, you know, they can kind of get you. But I, a couple of years ago, I uh, did the New York now summer show and they, they didn't, they didn't do, um, do, do justice to the new exhibitors. And they put us in a hallway 
um, near the food in the basement of this gorgeous convention center in, uh, in the Javits yeah. and did not advertise us. And yet uh, our booth was the same price as everyone else's. And, um, it was a, it was a tough year and I lost, I mean, I lost, a, it was, I mean, I think I spent 7,000 probably made about five, but you know, I have to say that the experience of it, um, <clears throat> was fascinating to me because it was one of those things that, you know, it was one of those challenges I wanted to do. It was something that I had done with other people for years. I'd done those shows. But mm-hmm. but in, part of the reason that I've stuck with New England Made is the quality of the show, the humanity behind the show, you know, how you how you and your team run the show is, is tremendous. Um, and also... The reality is, is that you don't, you, there's so many different ways in, in how to market yourself that even if you do a small, a smaller show, you know, that people have these ideas that you have to do these big, big shows in order to make it. The reality is, is that you can use that small regional show not only to fortify you in that, in that region of your, of what your work is, but it also gives you a talking point to talk to anyone all over the country. So as soon as you start doing wholesaling, you don't have to use a name like New York now. You can actually say, you know, I've done the New England Made Show. You can cold call galleries in California. It doesn't really matter. And yeah. so that was a huge lesson to me. Um, and it wasn't that I was doing it for my ego. It really was just, I was excited about the idea of having this massive broad audience where I could introduce them to my work. And I found yeah. that it, it really, it just, it just didn't meet my expectation. Yeah. Um, and so well, what was your you know, learning from it, Maggie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, I, I, every, every show I do retail, wholesale, it doesn't matter. There's always, mm-hmm. you know, there's always, you know, I've done, I've, I've thrown products out there. I've spent money on marketing that has failed. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of failures. Uh, it, there's just me in the making process, just me mm-hmm. getting to the point of being able to cast a piece or once I start a collection, taking something from a drawing to make it a product, you know, is, is a long process. Um, but I think just in this arena specifically, um, to me, what ends up happening is you really are looking for authenticity. You're looking for um, mutual respect and excitement because I think that that leads to good relationships with the owners and with the um, with the makers. Sure, and I think each one of those helps you iterate on both sides. It's like I. You know, I would bet the show producers also learn something through that experience. And, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, it's that whole iteration of, you know what? We discovered that didn't work. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, uh, moving on from that. Uh, what do you wish, Maggie, that somebody had told you when you were starting out? Um, hmm. yeah, I wish that someone talked to me about the real financial reality of what it means to be a maker. Yeah. I think that um, when I was working for all these people, and I think that it's something that I've, I'm, I'm very transparent with the people that work for me. The reason I am is that when I first worked for artists, um, it was during a huge boom. Mm-hmm. And these people would come home with, you know, a good $100,000 of uh, sales. The problem is, is that as a, as an assistant, you're writing orders for this person. You don't know where that money's going. You don't know how um, their product is, you know, even if you're part of the making, you're not a hundred percent sure of 
where the expenses are and all that stuff. And I think that what ends up happening in, in this world is that there's a lot of misconception about how much money you need in order to make things. And then also how much income you're actually bringing home in the end of the day. And it's a balance. It's you're, you're self-employed. So that has huge benefits. Um, and there's wonderful things about that. There's also things you may be giving up, which is there's no, there's no, you know, there's no one matching your funds or giving you a healthcare plan and those things. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of those items I find important is, uh, just the idea of what does it mean to be transparent with your money, to Mm -hmm. not, um, to not overspend, to understand, you know, to kind of project the concept of how much you're hoping to make in sales to use that to figure out how much growth you can have per year. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that the financial, that, that really, you know, not so much about being a maker and, and, and I think I was naturally a salesperson anyways. It was really like, okay, now that I made some money, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, um, what uh, what are you doing to balance the personal side of things? You know, you mentioned uh, that it's not easy. You're the solo. You're the rainmaker. You're the right. you're the maker, the financier, the whole uh, right. whole nine yards. How do you balance the personal side of things? Um, I think that I, I think it's really important to have structure. And so, even though you can kind of set your work hours, I think you kind of have to assume some level of start and stop. And mm-hmm. so I make sure that I have physical activity every day. Um, I make time to have, I, the one, the one thing that has been a little bit of a struggle was I bought a home uh, in mid coast Maine and moved from the Portland area. And when I was in Portland, I had a studio. And one of the things that was great about it was one, you're paying rent. So it kind of, you know, that in itself forces you to make sure you go there every day. You're already committed to that. Plus, I already had a business and, you know, things that I needed to do. But the other great part about it was there were other people in the studio. So there was that camaraderie. You felt like you were together. Up here, I am um, sitting in my beautiful studio right in my house, which, of course, is very easy to get distracted in yeah. laundry or something like that. But the other issue I found is I'm, I'm home alone. And mm-hmm. so I actually have to force myself to have some kind of social time and something to kind of look forward to. So. I, I am pretty good at finding that balance and making sure that I um, I do that because, like you said, you're, if you're doing it all, and, and you know, as far you know, I'm not as good as I should be in terms of probably in terms of you know structuring a time that I actually keep my QuickBooks going and that kind of thing. But I do have a tendency about once a month to kind of clear the space out to you know file all my bills and kind of get back on track and honestly having shows is a great um uh it's a great kind of timekeeper because you recognize you only have so much time so a lot of times i'm working back from a show knowing that i need to have things ready have new product ready so Mm -hmm. i i will actually kind of i know how long it takes to to bring out a new line so i will work back from there so just i think the structure is just really having structure is essential that's great um tell us some other uh Great tips, Maggie. How often are you introducing new products? How, yeah. what's your process? How do you go about that? Yeah. So, um, the pro, so yeah, I was thinking about it because I was reading that. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I think once a year for sure, you, you mm-hmm. want to have, they, I, I think the industry standard has always been about, you want maybe about 30% new product once a year. That, 
that that can be a lot for someone. It just depends sure. on how big your product is. Um, yeah. And also there can be a sense of having to then clear out other things that are maybe not working. Yeah. Um, you know, some people will just keep, you know, adding and adding and adding. Other people yeah. will kind of shift the amount of things they have and just, you know, kind of work some out. Um, yeah. But I find that in general, the once a year is pretty good. I have attempted a couple times to do some fall drop-in type things. Um <laughs> But what I have found in generally is uh, a lot of people that are buying in the fall weren't interested necessarily or had talked to you in the spring. So they don't really know the difference, if that makes sense. So I kind of, I kind of have learned that I can take a little pressure off myself by really working on once a year, like, you know, getting, and I also am not just doing one product at a time. Anytime I'm bringing in work, I'm bringing in a collection. And so a collection is going to be probably somewhere between six to 10 to 20 pieces that, you know, that needs some time. Um, so as far as my process, one of the, one of my little tips is what I was just mentioning is, you know, one of the best things to do is to commit to a show. And then Mm -hmm. once you've committed to that show is to work backwards is really to say, okay, if, if, if I'm doing a show in March, I know that my product line has to be done at the end of February, you know, to print catalogs or do, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can, you kind of, you, you, if you know your product well, you know how long it takes to make your, your product. Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, I have actually, what I'll do is I'll print out, I have, you know, a normal calendar, but I actually will print out just kind of a, you know, type in Google and just, you know, type in 2018, 17, 18 calendar and print out and then actually say, okay, if I'm going to do a show in March, I know November 1st, I have to have all my drawings done by November 15th. I have to have samples done by the 1st of December. I need to start, I need to start casting. Um, so I do, I have found that to be incredibly helpful because it, it kind of acts as a, um, accountability for yourself mm-hmm. and it keeps you on track so that all those other weird things that come in last minute as you're getting ready for a show, you actually have some breathing room to handle yeah. them. That's awesome. awesome. That's a That's great, great tip. I love that. Yeah, it's a good, I like that one. It's, it's been really helpful. And I have to say, there are some times where I laugh where, you know, you start the calendar and then you go away from it for a while. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. And oh, okay, I'm still on board. You know, I'm still on, I'm still yeah. on board. Um, yeah. That's great. Um, how are you marketing these days? What's your best tip for um, uh, your best tool, promo, yeah. buyer acquisition? What's working for you? You know, it's interesting. I personally, I I know that the best marketing tool is face to face. I think what happens is is that buyers get inundated uh, at the beginning of shows or before shows. They'll get inundated with postcards, emails, all that stuff. And I do send. I'll send a brochure or something for people that I really know, either I'm interested in or has or have already carried my work to make sure that they know where I am. Uh, but I have to say that. Of all the, you know, I do, I do Instagram, which is fabulous. Um, I actually have a lot of galleries that do, uh, galleries and shops that do Instagram and I do use that as a, as a tool. Um, but in general, specifically more for wholesaling, um, it's, it's, it's showing up. So actually my best advertising is usually advertising in the catalog made by the show. I think last year, uh, this year, uh, with, uh, I was doing something with Whitney. I was, uh, did the online 
preview, um, which I really liked that. And also you guys were so great and had, um, and I was on the promotional, um, material. Uh, I was on all your promotional material this, uh, this year with your, with my jewelry, which was incredible. And I actually had people showing up, um, because they saw, they saw the work. And so, you know, those are always, those are the best promotions because Mm -hmm. when the, when the show that you're in, um, is excited about you and it does, it does help translate, um, for sure. Right. And um, tell me a healthy habit that's important for you. What's uh, what kind of do you have in your system that is important for you to keep your head straight and your business online? Sure. Um, I would definitely say, I would say physical exercise yeah. is by far. You know, I think one of the things I actually usually struggle when I do shows, uh, especially shows out of town is even doing that, you know, you're sitting in a booth all day, you know, you're not, you're not kind of on your regular schedule, but I have found the activity of moving energy, um, getting, getting yourself stretched and ready. It's not just about your physical being. I really do feel that it calms down my spirit kind of allows me to feel settled in. And it does, it also helps that creative energy move. Um, so I have, yeah, I definitely find that, um, that physical part, you know, whether it's yoga, whether it's running movement, doesn't really matter what it is, but just something that, and it's also just being with your body. Because I think that to me, one of the things I recognize is that as a maker, you kind of end up honing down, you get really focused on something, you you know, outside yourself. And this, this forces you to kind of basically pay attention to who you are to, you know, just who you physically are. Um, So I would say that for sure. Great. And the biggest lesson lesson you've learned. Uh, The biggest lesson I've learned, um, I would say is you've got to find pleasure. You can choose, you, you, you really have to find the pleasure in what you do and that you, you really should do your best not to avoid the things that you don't find pleasurable, but that find a way to work it in between. Cause I think that what I found in general with the most successful businesses that I have, uh, I'm aware of is you, you don't avoid anything. You just don't dwell on it, you know, cause every, there's always going to be tasks and things you don't want to do. Um, sure. but avoiding it is only going to lead to kind of chaos later in your business. And actually sometimes those will be the things that you kind of get some energy from like, okay, I did my QuickBooks right now. I can go do something fun. <laughs> um, but I have found definitely that it, it's, it's an attitude. I mean, it really is an attitude. You really have to be in a place of, grounding, you know, just the idea of really stepping. Sometimes if I get lost, I will step back and really pay attention to the fact of what does it mean for me to be self-employed? I actually will really, you know, especially in these to- these economic times, as I've, as I've said, you know, when you have these expectations and there's real yeah. financial failure, it's, it's hard not to get yeah. scared, you know, to, to yeah. truly get scared of what's happening. And so, I do find that stepping back. And the other thing I would tell you is, mm-hmm. is to not do it alone is to, yeah. is to find friends, to be in partnership with people to, you know, to, to lean on the, the shows and the, the people involved in the shows and to find those people that can actually work with you with accountability and reassurance. Cause I think one of the things I've learned is as people become more open about where their business is, it's, it's, it's actually exhilarating. And it's not that you're focusing on their, um, their failures, it's, it's kind of like making light of everything that we go through. So we recognize just how strong we are and, and how much more resilience we have. Sure. And it's just, and the, it's ride. just the ride. 
It's a ride for sure. That's what it's we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me, are you uh, reading anything good these days? Yeah, you were saying books I would recommend to makers. You know, it's funny. You know what I would do? I know this is going to sound really kind of um, funny, but the book that I would recommend, which is totally not a business book, I, I did actually recently read one. And I was like, I was all excited about it. And I was, it just didn't, no, it just, it was not, it was talking about, it was like, it was like profiling people and their finances. And I was actually uh, excited about it. And I was like, no, um, actually it's a book by Don Miguel Ruiz called the four agreements. And it's interesting because it's, it's, it's a Toltec book that's based on four agreements to have in your life, which is always do your best. Um, speak with integrity. Don't take, don't take things personally and don't make assumptions. And so it's not, this is not a business book, but what I, what I have learned in this, you know, creative self-employed world is that there's, it's, you're bringing yourself with you everywhere. And it is hard to not get your ego bruised or feel Mm -hmm. like things are about you or, you know, why, why don't, why don't these people like my work or why can I make money or, or, or whatever it is. And and I've just found that I've been reading this lately and it's been incredibly helpful um, from kind of a place of tapping into, as you said, that journey, it's, that's actually the book I've been reading. So um, yeah, yeah, I like it. It's a good book. It's great. How about online? Any good apps? I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Instagram because it's information, it's fast, it's image-based. And one of the things I like about it is it's a fabulous resource for SEO. So, you know, thinking about this concept of uh, search and um, engine optimization, for me as a maker, I'm always trying to figure out is how do people find me? And so I don't want to sit on my computer for hour after hour typing in jeweler, jeweler in Maine, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out. And actually, what I love about Instagram is it's kind of a cheating tool because yeah. you can actually, when you're doing these hashtags and trying to, you know, do all these fun things, plugging in these things for your, for your images that you're putting up, you, it will tell you how many times people are viewing or interacting with a certain phrase. Mm-hmm. That actually, I use, it kind of gets stored in the back of my head and I can use it in other marketing and marketing ways. And so I actually, that's, that to me is really, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. cool. All right. And, and uh, these, these days, days, what's keeping you inspired? Uh, what's keeping me inspired is, um, oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think my life, I, I, I mean, I, I've had a really interesting personal life and lots of changes. And um, I, I don't know, you know, I, it's funny, because I have these little bunk beds outside my, uh, my room, because I have, um, you know, engaged in this new, fabulous, amazing partnership with a gentleman and two small, tiny kids. And uh, so when I'm not in the studio, I am now um, yeah, basically pushing a double stroller and having an amazing time. And it's, a, you know, I, I, I was widowed at 40 years old and was never thinking any of this would come my way. So this has been a glorious turn of events. And it's kind of funny because the room that we have is basically the rest of the house to my studio is their little sweet bedroom. So, um, yeah, I actually have found they are incredibly inspiring to me. Um, they're somehow just the idea that I'm 
uh, in this wonderful family. And also kids are great for reminding you to stay present mm-hmm. and I can't do anything when they're here. So, so, <laughs> so it forces me to work a lot harder when they're not. Yeah. So yeah, I basically looking at those bunk beds reminds me you better get your button gear because you don't have much more time. <laughs> That's great. That's a new chapter, Maggie. A new chapter. Yeah, it's been uh, just a beautiful year in my life, and they actually came running through the show. They got to go to the New England Made Show uh, uh, this March, and oh my awesome. goodness, they were the cutest. They. They were going away with, you know, Roxy, Roxy's, Roxy's Aww, sugar. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Love that. Love that. Yeah, yeah, to be honest, that really is, I, yeah, it's just, I, I really believe adaptability is yeah. the key to life. And, yeah. um, and I am finding that, yeah, just, just even taking this house and making it adaptable to bring in these little people and mm-hmm. this, this wonderful partner has, has somehow inspired me to, you know, I got, I have more reasons and more people to, to make beautiful things so we can have a beautiful life together. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So any, uh, any last advice or best advice for other artisans or anything you'd like to share, Maggie, before we wrap up? I am, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I, I love, I, I love your show and I'm, I, I love Aww, being thanks. part of it. And it really is. I had made this decision for next year to take a step from wholesale and I'm, I'm actually only committing to you guys. And, uh, and I think that it, it, it really is because of the quality of, of the show and also just where I am in my life. But, um, my advice is, is, is you just got to step in. And, um, as far as one of the things that I would, and I have recommended this show, um, to many people in my life, um, I actually have some coaching clients that are, um, going to be at your fall show. Awesome. And, um, so I really do is that. I feel that the environment that you offer and the support that your whole team offers uh, between you and Whitney and Greg and everyone is amazing that um, y- you kind of can't not do it. You know, this, the only way to figure it out is to do it. So yeah. you've got to do it. And it doesn't matter how ready you are because I've seen you, I've seen your team, you know, kind of wrap your arms around people that, you know, kind of did maybe brought 90% of themselves and you help them with the 10. And, um, and I think that it's just the experience is just get in there. And I speak from a place of confidence because I've, I've walked the plank many times and, you know, jumped in that water and got back out and did it again. Um, so yeah, so I, and I'm, and I'm incredibly appreciative of this show because I, I actually did this years ago when I first started doing it, I did it part of the main, um, the main center for craft had did a, you know, a group booth and I had a tiny little booth behind other people and it was, it was a fabulous experience and it was kind of a kickoff. And I really realized, you know, I spent some time walking around and getting excited, seeing new people and talking to them. And it's, it's hard to not just share their um, excitement. And so, yeah, you just got to do it. <laughs> so 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. I am really grateful for what you share with other, uh, whether it's jewelers or other artisans or whatever. And I appreciate your, um, you know, uh, thoughtful words about our company. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that because it, you, you do need those partners and you are in it all together, whether it's the buyers, whether it's the makers, whether it's the show producers, whether, you know, we all have a part to play and, and I appreciate how generous you are in, in your spirit of that. So thank you. Oh, so. well, thank you. I, yeah, I'm, you know, and as you say, you know, I do, I, I have done hundreds and hundreds of shows. And so you just, you know, it's kind of the uniqueness you start to, you start to recognize where, you know, where you've got it good and you take care of those people. So um, I feel, oh, Perfect timing to end a, a, a podcast as the dog, as this dog must have found something like that. That's great. All right. Well, Maggie, we'll wrap it up. And I'm so grateful for your time today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to talk to Maggie, and one of my favorite tips from the show was when Maggie touched on the industry rule of adding about 30% new product annually. I invite you to consider what your buyers are asking you for and what you might need to add to your list and your lines and what you might consider pruning from your list. Thanks for joining in, and until next time, stay close to the good. Wholesale.com for show notes with resources and links that help you work smarter, earn more, and live better.